Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. The 1911 is one of the most iconic firearms in history. Designed by John Browning, the 1911 was the standard-issue sidearm of the U.S. military from 1911 to 1985. While Colt produced the original, almost every major firearm company has produced its own version. It's wildly revered for its reliability, crisp trigger, and is still a favorite for all types of shooters. Whether you're looking to buy or build a 1911 and just about everything for guns, log on to MidwayUSA.com. This episode of Homesteady is brought to you by Freight Farms. Guys, you're going to hear the whole story of Freight Farms, who they are, what they are in today's episode. Originally, they contacted me to help us produce the show, to partner up, and uh, let you guys know about them. When I heard their story, I thought it was too good to not share in an episode. So this episode is brought to you by Freight Farms. In future episodes, you will hear that in the commercial spot. Uh, But in this episode, enjoy learning their story and learning about hydroponics. Uh, je m'appelle Andrew et je suis un agriculteur des légumes hydroponiques. My name is Andrew and I'm a hydroponic farmer. Okay, my name is not Andrew and I'm not French. Uh, but the voice that you just heard was Andrew McHugh. And we got him on the show to talk about hydroponics and uh, by the way Andrew's not French he just learned it in school pretty good right we'll come back to Andrew and modern-day hydroponics but before we do we have to travel back in time and the reason why is because of my wife you see in last month's episode we told you that the next episode was going to be all about hydroponics And my wife said... Don't make me listen to this episode. Why? Because it's going to be boring. Because it's all the most boring parts about farming. (laughs) It's science and (laughs) seed starting, and you do it all in your basement. So it sounds creepy and boring. (laughs) So this is my personal challenge to make this episode interesting to you. All you married listeners out there know there's no better way to get good work out of your husband than by challenging him. And so we're going to start today's episode off with this challenge. How could I make hydroponics interesting enough for our most critical editor of the show? So we'll get your reaction when you're done listening to it. Okay. Depends how many times you make me listen to it. It wasn't easy, but I think I've done it. I've made an episode all about creepy basement farming that I think my wife will enjoy listening to. I have traced the roots of hydroponics back, not to France and Andrew, no, no, years back, further and further. We have to go back hundreds of years where we find the roots of hydroponics in human sacrifice. 1325 A.D. 
Central Mexico, near modern-day Mexico. So this is an excerpt from the program Engineering and Empire, a program put on by the History Channel. A young girl, just a teenager, is celebrating her impending wedding. She is the daughter of a tribal king, and she is about to join a new tribe that has been a guest of her kingdom. That tribe is now known as the Aztecs. As part of the ritual, this History Channel series about the Aztecs starts with the story of a wedding. And I'm going to warn you right now, things don't go well at this wedding. If you have young listeners, you might want to skip ahead a minute or two. Five Aztec noblemen lead her to an ancient temple for the ceremony. But as she reaches the top, the noblemen suddenly veer her away from the altar and onto a slab of stone in front of the temple, one used for sacrifice. This young princess is walking to what she thinks is her wedding ceremony, but then suddenly she finds herself being held down by four strong Aztec men. The fifth? I'll let the History Channel handle this. While a fifth lifts an obsidian knife high in the air, with one searing move, he slashes it through her chest and extracts her still beating heart. And just when you think it couldn't get any more gruesome, it does. The father is invited to a ceremony to celebrate the wedding. He arrives expecting to see his married daughter. Instead... Instead, he finds a priest performing a dance, wearing the still glistening skin of his daughter. As part of the ritual, the Aztecs had flayed her to honor the god of fertility. The king is obviously horrified. Francis Burden from the California State University tells us what happens next. He saw this and he was absolutely horrified at what he saw, his dear daughter. And so he and his forces immediately chased the, the Aztecs into the lake and onto this island where they sought refuge. Okay, now remember that. This is the whole reason you're hearing this horrible story of a wedding gone super, super wrong in an episode of a homesteading show all about hydroponics. You see, this is it. This is the birthplace of hydroponics. It all starts because of that horrific wedding, which we're not going to talk about anymore, so bring the kids back to the show in today's episode of Homesteading. The marshy island was an unwelcoming place. Yet it was from here that the Aztecs would beat the odds against them and forge the most powerful empire of the Americas. In today's episode of Homesteady, from the Aztec Empire to NASA to your dinner plate, the story of hydroponics, why you should be interested in it as a homesteader, and why my wife might just think it's interesting if I talk enough about human sacrifice. Stay with us. The world that we live in is a crazy place, but you and me, we can each make it a little better. We can live a more sustainable life. We can become more self-sufficient. We can get more connected with the planet around us. And we can do all of this together. So everybody, cozy up. It's time for another episode of Homestead.
Hydroponics. Today, hydroponics is being used to put food on the tables of five-star high-end restaurants and on people's plates in third world countries. What is this growing technique anyway? Andrew from Freight Farms explains. Hydroponics is essentially taking the nutrients we know a plant needs, dissolving them into water, flowing that water over the plant's roots. It's the art of taking farming, something that is so natural that starts in the dirt with the sun and reproducing it by a whole different means inside what looks like a science lab with grow lights, no dirt anywhere, but all to the same end, to put food on the table. And it's allowing farmers to do some incredible things. Uh, one is called nutrient film technique. For NFT, you take a big water tank and you fill it with all the nutrients that your plant needs. And you've adjusted the pH. Uh, I'm sure you've come across farmers who are crushing up oyster shells or lime to adjust the pH of their soil. This is one of the reasons hydroponics is becoming so popular because amending soil is a long and complicated process. A lot simpler to do when it's just a body of water and you add a little bit of acid or a little bit of uh, basic substance to bring that pH to what you need it to be. Once you have the water set just right, you run a very small amount of it over the roots of your plants. Another one that's very simple for a lot of home growers is ebb and flow, uh, where essentially you have a water tank, you have a shelf, uh, there's a pump from the water tank to the shelf, it floods it, and then it drains back into the tank. Ebb and flow, very simple. Gives the plant water and nutrients, and then allows the plant's uh, roots a little time to dry out, get some oxygen uh, before there's another cycle. You can set up an ebb and flow hydroponic system all from materials that you would buy at Tractor Supply. It's a very popular setup amongst homesteaders. There's another style called uh, deep water cultivation, which is actually really cool. I like deep water a lot. It is um, what the Aztecs were doing essentially, uh, which is you have several feet of water and you have these rafts with plants growing on it with holes in the bottom and the, the roots of the plants go down into the water and they'll extract the nutrients and the moisture they need from the stream or pond or lake that you're growing in. Andrew, who we interviewed for this episode, works for a company called Freight Farms, a company who takes freight containers normally used to ship products in a refrigerated state and refurbishes them to be a farm that grows the amount of food you would normally grow in a football field in a space just the size of an end zone. When you look at one of these freight farms, it looks like something out of science fiction. And that's kind of because that's where it came from. A lot of the modern hydroponic technology came from NASA. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. But like we said at the outset, its roots, <laughs> pun intended, all started back. Um, so the Aztecs were actually doing hydroponics you know, a thousand years ago in this style. So let's go back, back to the wedding. While a fifth lifts an obsidian knife high in the air. Whoa, whoa, not that far back, no, no. To, to the end of the ceremony. Instead, he finds a priest performing a dance. No, 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 I, I said the end of the ceremony, okay? So, so when it's all over, 
Uh, the king, who has just lost his daughter, he's obviously very angry. He gathers his forces and goes chasing after those men. Those men, who would later become known as the Aztecs, remember what they did. They he and his forces immediately chased the, the Aztecs into the lake and onto this island where they sought refuge. So they seek refuge on this wet, marshy island. The Aztec leader, whose name was Tinoch, would go on to claim this island for their own. The island of Tinochtitlan. Now remember, this is an incredibly marshy island. Not a good place for growing crops. And as the Aztec empire grew and grew, they needed more and more food to feed their people. And so they came up with a solution. They built rafts out of reeds. They would plant on top of those rafts and push them out into the water. The roots of the plant would reach through the raft and down into the water, absorbing nutrients from Lake Tenochtitlan. That simple system right there is the beginning of hydroponics. Plants not being grown in soil, instead sending roots into the water getting the nutrients it needs, feeding people amazing quality food in less than amazing growing conditions. That's what hydroponics is all about. It's about growing food where you normally couldn't, like on a marshy island, or fast forward almost a thousand years to a couple of dudes trying to grow food in the middle of the city. That's where freight farms came from. Tell me the origin story. All right, so freight farms, we're seven years old now. So back in 2010, Brad McNamara, John Friedman, that's our founding duo. They were actually working in um, rooftop agriculture in the Boston area, uh, consulting with folks, you know, trying to, to build out some of these farms. Brad and John saw a very big need to bring agriculture into the cities. But this was especially challenging for kind of the obvious reasons. Imagine for a minute that you've actually found a city with a perfect climate for growing plants year-round. Now that's hard enough, right? Okay, finding some land in a city. First of all, the problem with the city is everyone's piled on top of each other. So real estate gets expensive, there's not a lot of space. Um, maybe you do have a lot of shaded out by buildings around it. Now you have to find plants that don't need a lot of direct sunlight. And then you have to factor in the orientation of the sun and the buildings and how the light will shine on that garden. That is, that's one barrier. The second barrier is um, if you do get a lot, you have no idea what's in that soil. Um, brownfield remediation is a whole nother area of expertise. Now you have to figure out how to either remove the contaminated soil and replace it, or to fix the soil that's there. Ultimately, you're not just what you eat, you are what you eat eats. And you know, plants are, quote unquote, air, are eating what's in the soil. So if the soil has lead in it, mercury in it, you know, that's gonna show up in your salad um, and eventually in your health, so. So worrying about the sun and worrying about the soil and that was all assuming that you had a perfect climate to grow in. If the climate's not perfect, you need to do season extension. Now you're looking at infrastructure for building out a greenhouse um, or something like that. Um, 
that starts to get expensive as well and takes a whole nother area of expertise. So the barriers start mounting up. Brad and John were trying to attack these barriers head on by building farms on rooftops. But it turned out that building a farm on a rooftop had its own set of issues. And at that time when they were looking into it, you know, a rooftop farm, it cost you $60 to grow a tomato. Think about the challenges of starting a farm on an old building's roof. Boat Trader, America's largest boating marketplace, offering easy financing and over 100,000 boat listings to choose from. Sell, find, and finance new or used boats on America's largest boating marketplace. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. You have to make sure the building can actually support the weight of all that soil and water and all those plants. You need to protect them from wind, from inhospitable climate. It, it gets to be you know, not easily replicated, not easily done, there's a really high barrier to entry there. And then um, the capital involved also means that it's not super economically uh, viable. It cost him $60 to produce a tomato. Everybody knows Accountant Mike would give that a big fat thumbs down. Brad and John were looking up to the rooftops to try to find an answer to their problem. Turns out, they had to look a little bit further, past the rooftops, up into the stars. Um, so the Aztecs were actually doing hydroponics. In the history of hydroponics, that's sort of the, the start. Um, they don't, it doesn't really progress from the Aztecs until NASA. Um, when you get to uh, 20th century and people thinking about sending humans into space, getting what we have on Earth to other parts of the universe, um, hydroponics starts to get a big injection of uh, brain power and money at ways to grow plants in space. Think about it. The same qualities that make plant life essential on Earth make it an ideal engine for long-term life support in space. Plants actively purify and recycle air supplies, absorbing carbon dioxide and noxious fumes while releasing oxygen. They also provide a regenerating food supply, transpire water vapor into the air that can be condensed and collected for drinking, and filter contaminants in water through their root system. That's an excerpt from a really interesting article that you can find at nasa.gov. NASA could see that the more and more they planned long-term space flight, space travel, even perhaps someday space colonization, sending food from Earth to the stars, that was not sustainable. It would be far better to grow the plants in space itself. But growing plants in space presents a unique challenge. You see, if it was too much work to send food up to space, imagine how much worse it would be to send bags and bags of topsoil and then try to keep that contained on a space station with no gravity. Just didn't make sense. So they had to look back to the example of the Aztecs to grow food among the stars. standing by now for uh, the first consumption of one of these red romaine lettuce leaves uh, that has been grown in the microgravity of space. <laughs> 
Having lived on the space station here for a while, I understand the... Uh, this is a video the, uh, that you can watch. We'll link to it from the blog post right up of astronauts eating the very first lettuce grown in space. And if we're ever going to go to Mars someday, and we will, and uh, but whatever that is, we're going to have to have a spacecraft that is much more uh, self-sustainable uh, with regards to its uh, food supply. That's awesome. Good. Tastes good? Yeah. I like that. <laughs> kind of like arugula. Yeah. It's fresh. That's all. Yeah. 11.46 a.m. Central Time. Uh, the crew consumes uh, the first uh, space-grown produce aboard the International Space Station. Good stuff. That was good, yeah. That was cool. Ancient wisdom applied in futuristic technology that then trickles down is able to be used by modern farmers like our friends at Freight Farms. If hydroponics could help people grow plants in space where there literally is no land to grow plants, well then hydroponics might be the perfect solution to growing food in the city. But now they had to put it all in one easy to use box. So Brad and John, they're looking around um, and thinking about decentralized food production, uh, getting food into cities, um, and they see shipping containers all over the place. Brad and John get an idea. Instead of building these elaborate custom hydroponic farms on rooftops, spending a fortune doing it, they could make a simple system in a box, in a shipping container, a piece of infrastructure that every city is built to handle. Yeah, so you're looking at shipping containers and what you see is essentially a modular unit that the entire industrial infrastructure is built to um, support and move around. Um, and it can fit into all sorts of places and go on rooftops, in alleyways, in parking garages, underpasses, out in a backyard, a driveway, go on a boat on a train, um, you know, they're all over the place. Every modern city is built to handle freight containers as part of the infrastructure. So instead of custom designing a farm to fit the city, why not make it fit the freight container, which already was everywhere. Why don't we do that? Uh, so that was sort of how they got to it. The next step was to take advantage of all those technological advancements that were handed down to us from NASA and fill this freight farm 
with that technology. You wouldn't dream of trying to grow without the sun, um, you know, 50, 60 years ago. Um, but electricity, different kinds of lights start getting popular, they start coming down in price, they start being accessible, it starts to make a little bit more sense. Um, freight farms, we use LEDs. Um, LEDs are on a, a trajectory where they are growing so fast in terms of their the technology is advancing so rapidly um, that year over year the lights are getting cheaper and more effective and more powerful. Um, so how could how could that not revolutionize uh, the way we use them and the way we grow food with them? So the final piece of the puzzle was turning this farm in a box into a simple turnkey system that farmers in the United States could use that farmers on the Caribbean islands could use anywhere, no matter where you were. They had to make it simple and streamlined. We basically took farming and tried to reduce it to uh, simplest concepts, repeatable tasks, um, and as much of the guesswork as possible, taken out of it by automation. So the dust settled, and there it was, the leafy green machine. Leafy Green Machine is a 40-foot insulated shipping container. Uh, essentially, it used to be a refrigerator that would ship food thousands of miles from producer to consumer. Um, when that refrigerator breaks down, the economic incentive is actually it's cheaper for a company to build a whole new one than to keep a staff on hand to repair that refrigeration unit and send it back out into the world. So the freight farm itself starts as an upcycling project. They take a insulated shipping container and they use that insulation to help them build a farm. 130 degrees outside, it's negative 40 degrees outside, no worries, you can still grow your, your crop. Uh, we have that insulation in place. Now that right there is a huge game changer, but they take it another step further. If you look in cities, why do you have skyscrapers? You run out of square footage, so you need cubic footage and just build up. The freight farmers copied the skyscrapers all around their farms, their city farms. And like those skyscrapers, they built their gardens upward. Vertical gardening, taking advantage not only of square footage, but cubic footage. We are now enabling a lot more plants to be grown in a lot smaller places um, through more of the year. So in a city, um, you don't have the space, maybe you don't have the climate, uh, maybe you don't have the light. So we made sure that we, we took care of all of that. They put an automated system into the freight farm. As sensors and timers measuring temperature, humidity, carbon dioxide, the pH of One the One that you could set specifically for each individual plant. It automatically adjusted according to the parameters that you set for lettuce. Don't want to grow lettuce? You can set it for kale, collards herbs, edible flowers, whatever you want to grow, you can set the climate specifically for that kind of plant. Big, big question marks in getting started with farming anywhere, let alone in a city where it gets way complicated. The freight farm solved so many of the problems that were preventing farms from coming to the city. However, there was one more hurdle it needed to tackle. Could they make these farms financially sustainable? Remember, that's the reason why they left the rooftop idea in the first place. 
A freight farm is a big investment. Can a farmer actually make money after buying one of these units? Find out after a brief word from our sponsors. Hydroponics is an awesome tool to get really fresh food on your kitchen counter. If you can put fresh food on the counters of the space station, yeah, it could take care of you. But let's be honest, not all of us are going to run a hydroponic garden. You can still get delicious farm fresh fruits, veggies, meats to your table to cook with. If you try HelloFresh, who helped us bring you this episode. They believe that everyone deserves to eat honest, real, healthy food. Like the stuff the Aztecs grew. But this food is delivered to your doorstep in an insulated, recyclable box for free. Recently, I got to try HelloFresh out. Now, I am not very good in the kitchen, as you guys probably already know. I was very impressed by how easily I was able to put a meal for my family together. And that's because HelloFresh is a meal kit delivery service that is designed to make cooking fun, easy, and convenient. Each of the recipes has step-by-step instructions that are designed to take around 30 minutes for anyone from a novice like myself to a seasoned home cook that just is short on time. The ingredients are fresh and they're measured to the exact quantities, so there's no food waste, which is awesome. I'm afraid the pigs aren't going to get much slop from these meals. If you're like me and cooking is not a strength, but you want to get better, maybe make it a skill of yours, well, HelloFresh is a great way to do it. You'll be given all the ingredients you need in the right amount so you don't have to go searching around for things and trying to figure out how much to use. And you can focus on actually figuring out how to cook, which is a really good life skill to have, especially for someone homesteady who's going to be growing farm-fresh ingredients and harvesting from their own land. HelloFresh offers a classic box, a veggie box, or a family box. They now have a meal plan that's just $30. That's less than $10 per meal. If you want to give HelloFresh a try, we have a special offer for you. Use promo code HOMESTEADY30 at checkout, and you get $30 off your first order. So visit HelloFresh.com and enter promo code HOMESTEADY30. guys know here at Homesteady, we always consider the economic side of all our endeavors. Homesteading is hard work, farming is hard work, and at the end of the day, for it to be sustainable, it has to be good both for the planet, for the farmer, and for the wallet. So could this hydroponic system get a thumbs up from Accountant Mike? I decided to bring him in to take a hard look at their numbers. This first interview is uh, with a guy named Andrew. That's um, what you sent me. Yeah, so if his, you looked at any his, of the numbers. Yeah, his farm machine. Uh, I didn't look at those numbers, but I looked at the leafy green machine. Cool. So I played the interview that I did with Andrew for Accountant Mike. I let him listen to Andrew's numbers. The first thing Accountant Mike wanted to know was what does one of these things cost? Leafy green machine, it costs $85,000, so it's... Um, in the, in the world of consumer products, it's expensive. In the world of uh, commercial farm equipment, it's uh, on the cheaper side of right down the middle. Here, Andrew reminds us that they're not selling freight farms to someone who gardens as a hobby. They're selling it to farmers, people who might pay $150,000 on a tractor 
for a field that they can only farm for half of the year. With a freight farm, you can grow lettuce year-round. But how much? That's what Accountant Mike needed to know next. So that's a significant startup capital, um, but you are then looking at anywhere from 30 to 100 pounds of greens every week. If we're talking about you know, market value, you're looking at a thousand what we call mini heads of lettuce. So these are two to four ounce heads of lettuce every week. Fairly easy to get a dollar to a dollar fifty per head. Mini heads of lettuce, a thousand a week, a dollar a head. You're looking at a thousand revenue, you know, fifty-two thousand over the whole year. Um, subtract out twelve thousand in operating costs, um, and you're looking at forty thousand in profit at the end of the year. So Andrew went on to use other examples, whether you're growing herbs or other greens. Accountant Mike got to listen to all that. What we hear back from our farmers is an annual profit of anywhere from twenty-five to fifty-five thousand dollars. Um, you said twenty to forty thousand of profit. Twenty to fifty, depending 20 on to 50, what okay. you're selling, what your production level is. You know, one farmer right. might decide I want to sell just basil, right? And another guy might say I'll do a little bit of everything. And at the farmers market, you can make more money for a little bit of everything if you can move that much. You know, okay. He was really Andrew was really fair to say like it's going to be different for everybody, but. 20, that range of 20 to 50 is the average. Okay. So $85,000 you pay to get this machine on your property, and then you go. Everything is there. If someone's trying to make six or seven figures, uh, not exactly the right tool. Uh, if you're looking to make a living or supplement a living, um, you can do worse than getting a leafy green machine. It's actually a pretty good tool for you to get into farming uh, for a little bit more uh, income. That's not bad at all. That's actually really kind of great, um, especially when you, especially if you if you have any sort of capacity that you're wasting, like in the winter time, yeah. or if you live somewhere that has a longer winter than normal. If you've got six months out of the year that you can't grow anything like that, it, I feel like it also could function as its own little standalone thing if you really wanted it. To. Oh, totally. Like if you just want to do this and just want to sell like you know super local lettuce every single week or or basil or whatever accountant mike really liked what he heard especially when he heard how much time it takes to make that kind of money hours per day in the green machine what's general general is um 20 hours of work a week just to grow the plants so this is right. not administering the business um there's lots of things you know, packaging, delivering, marketing, sales, accounting, um, that adds on extra time. Um, you're, if you're running the business, it turns into more of a full-time thing, but 20 hours of week of work a week in the farm uh, to seed, transplant, harvest, and do regular maintenance cleaning. That starts out as closer to 30 or 35. You do everything for the first time. It takes about three or four months to get your workflow down to the point where you, you're flying through there and you're doing it pretty fast. But we've, we've heard this back from farmers. When we look at the, the, the tasks that we're talking about, seeding, transplanting, harvesting, routine cleaning, you're talking, they can get it down to 20 hours of work. Uh, you split that across two people and it starts to look really reasonable too. Okay, so it's a half-time job. It doesn't include packaging for your products. He said, you know, obviously it doesn't include marketing or 
moving. But let's say you're already a farmer. Sure. And you already have a market. And you're like, you know what? Every winter, I don't have anything to sell. And I don't make a dime all winter long. And I'm just waiting for, you know, May when the first greens start to pop up. Um, now, you're, you for the, your same market that you already have established, you can bring in this surplus too and say, I got more product for you year-round, fresh lettuce, fresh herbs. And you can make, let's say, let's be fair, we'll call it like in the middle there, 30000 Sure. $85,000 investment, 20 hours a week. $30,000 a year. That's great. That's really great. After looking hard at the Freight Farms model, Accountant Mike was really impressed. He thought it was a great way to increase revenue as an existing farm business, or even a good place for an aspiring farmer to start. Starting a farm from scratch can be very overwhelming. I know, I've done it. Freight Farms makes it very easy. You don't have to worry about the location. You don't have to worry about the elements. You can grow year round. You have an automated system, but they want to make it even easier for new farmers to begin. Uh, Freightfarms.com, they have a whole blog on there where we talk about introduction to hydroponics. Um, and then we have resor a resources page on our website with um, videos, case studies, um, templates, you know, starter kits for a business plan or financial. I remember when we first started our farm business, I was trying to put together a business plan and I just didn't even know what that was. I'd never done it before. So if you're thinking about starting a farm business, not even with a freight farm, just you want to start some kind of farm business, head over to freightfarms.com slash homesteady. There you can find their business plan startup guide. And if you're interested in freight farming, but you don't have an extra $85,000 sitting around to get started, no worries. Freight Farms offers a suite of financing options to get you started. You can find all that information at freightfarms.com slash homesteady. It'll help you get your farm dreams off in the right direction. Um, you can also just reach out to me. I'm Andrew. I'm Andrew at freightfarms.com. We're not very creative with the email addresses. And we're happy happy to talk with anyone who wants to come in and learn a little bit more uh, and wants to become a farmer. After three years of doing this show with Accountant Mike, I can now tell just by the tone of his voice whether or not we have a thumbs up or a thumbs down coming. And this one was clear. He liked the numbers. He liked the amount of time you put into it and what you got out of it. I could smell a thumbs up. And so I had to put on the brakes. This is a show called Home Study not farm study. Most of us don't have that kind of money to invest in a piece of farm equipment. Sure, there's a couple of us listening to the show right now who are running a farm business full-time who this would be perfect for. They could make that investment and within a couple years see a return, extending their season, giving them more product to sell to more customers throughout the year. It's a no-brainer. But for all the rest of us, well, we really can't apply these numbers to what we might do with hydroponics in our, as my wife puts it, creepy basements. I actually have kind of a creepy basement. It's unfinished, bad, axe murdery kind of lighting. Sorry, anyway. The thing is, I stopped Accountant Mike from giving us a thumbs up. I know, crazy. Great. Now here's a problem. What? Most of our listeners don't have $85,000. So you ready to take a good hard look 
Add some homestead, homestead uh, hydroponics. Sure. <laughs> All right, let's go for a field trip. Okay. Ooh, traffic. I hate coming to Southern Connecticut. We are going on a field trip today. I am following accountant Mike. He's in the blue car. He's really excited about this topic. I don't know why. Mike and I were headed to Norwalk, Connecticut. If you've ever been there, you couldn't possibly imagine that you were going to see something farmy or homesteady. Norwalk is a small city surrounded by suburbs. Vince contacted me a while back about his son, Jonathan, who was heavily involved in FFA and teaching people about hydroponics and aquaponics. I figured it would be a perfect match for us. This next interview is an excerpt from a series of YouTube videos that you can find at the Homesteady YouTube channel. Just go to YouTube and search Homesteady, you'll find us. You can see Accountant Mike in the flesh as we tour the homestead where Jonathan is helping to feed his family with his efforts in hydroponics. Where are we going? GPS got it connected. Oh. I don't know how I'm gonna turn this around. Good God. All right, we have a gate. Can you have this guy's number? Can you ask him to come open a gate for us? <laughs> Let me see if I can find Vince. Number four, we right? We pulled onto four. this street. It was a private road with a gate. But we, were, we were trying to find Vince and Jonathan's place and we saw, I saw that. The peak of a homemade greenhouse. And I was like, oh, all right, that's got to be their place. Something farmy is going on there. And then I saw chickens running around. I was like, we, we got to the right spot. Perfect. John, nice to meet you. How you doing? We always roll the the, uh, the hellos, guys. No, Austin, lit Austin oh. literally <laughs> records his entire life, every second of every day. Right. Accountant Mike knows this. He's been my friend since high school. And of course, I have the footage to prove it. What do we got? Fig trees here? Um, I have a fig tree. We have a couple lime trees. Cool. And, uh, lemon trees and a ponderosa lemon, which awesome. actually makes uh, a lemon the size of a grapefruit. Whoa! And use that in making limoncello because there's a you use oh, the rind nice. to make it. Oh. Now we're yeah. you've got accountant Mike's attention. Yeah, all right. <laughs> well, hello. I'm, I'm, I'm Booze and the ears perk That's up. It. Yeah. <laughs> no, no, no. I'm actually I'm excited about this. This is like of everything he's talked about on the show so far. This is I think the first thing that I am actually truly interested in. <laughs> Even our microphone couldn't handle hearing those words come from Accountant Mike's voice. You can hear it just freaks out there. This is, I think, the first thing that I am actually truly interested in. <laughs> I was really excited, too, to go and tour Vince and Jonathan's. You see, a lot of the interviews we've done over the last few years on this show are with larger-scale homesteads and farms. But Vince and his family, they live in southern Connecticut, in suburbia. You don't see a lot of people in lower Fairfield County specifically yeah. trying their hand at homesteading in any right. way, shape, or form. You know, everybody yeah. has a couple pots on their front porch sure. and they burn and die. Yep. And that's right. it. Right. No and we're not trying to go off grid. We're not trying yeah, to do completely no. substantive yep. living. But you know, heck, if you can chop, chop the veggie bill down 10, 15 percent, oh, sure. And that's a big good. bill. You know? Well, yep. and, and if you can do that and at the same time get a superior quality product, then yeah, exactly. why would you not do yeah. that? Yep. It's, and that's actually one of the reasons. Uh, you heard it. Accountant Mike said if you could cut the veggie bill with a superior product, 
knives, machetes, saws, and shears, multi-tools, shovels, swords, axes, spears, hatchets, and tomahawks. If it cuts, snips, slices, or chops, Midway USA has it. Find great gift ideas in our huge selection of pocket knives and other everyday carry folding knives. Make a statement or create a family legacy with one of our top-of-the-line hunting knives. We've got a great selection of manual and electric sharpeners, too. For just about everything for the outdoors, check out MidwayUSA.com. Why would you not do it? I don't know, Accountant Mike. Why would you not do it? Three and a half years ago, we started this show. And since then, Accountant Mike has given plenty of thumbs up on things that he considered to be worth the time and effort. So there's the question, Accountant Mike. Why would you not do it? It's actually one of the reasons... uh... As a subscriber, I enjoy the show because you paint the vista you dream and you sit there poking holes in it. That's just the best. That's just the absolute best. We love that dichotomy. That's, that's right it. That's how we... Uh... This time, it's totally different. Accountant Mike is not shooting holes into this because he's interested in it. He thinks it might be something he'd consider doing. And so who better to help convince him to do it than two fans who know how Accountant Mike works? Vince and his son, the hydroponic master, Jonathan. Jonathan has been doing aquaponics and hydroponics since? Since the seventh grade, about seventh six grade. years ago. Okay. Yep. Oh, wow. All right. Yeah. You look a pro. Pro. Yeah. I started my research and whatnot um, back in like the seventh grade. I was a little dude. So while his peers were playing with Legos and Lincoln Logs, <laughs> he was building hydroponics systems. <laughs> building a garden. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I've worked with customers in, in the past coming from all sorts of economic situations, different um, living backgrounds, different conditions. And with hydroponics, you can really mold that however you see fit yeah. um, and kind of get it to work anywhere. To, um, fix, to fit great. the customer. Yeah. Let's see it. We're going to go take a look at their setup. We're going to see what uh, Jonathan's been doing. And then Accountant Mike is going to start grilling Jonathan for some hard numbers. So let's go. Soft grill. You've been, you've been practicing? Grill. You'll be fine. Oh yeah, no, no worries, yeah. The magic of editing, right? <laughs> yeah. All right, let's go. It's all good. We follow Jonathan and Vince into the backyard. So we're going to be headed right into the greenhouse. Past the duck and chicken yeah, coops. So you can see chicken coop, duck coop. And around then you'll the corner. see the birds wandering about. Uh, and then we do have our traditional garden back there. <laughs> oh. Into their homemade greenhouse. The gist of hydroponics is the non-usage of soil. So you're using the water as a conduit for transferring nutrients directly to the plants. Okay. Um, this results in a doubled or more growth rate and doubled production in your plants. Um, you know, lettuce typically takes anywhere between 60 and 70 days uh, from planting to harvest. In a hydroponic system, it can take 25 to 30 days. Gotcha. Um, yeah, that's really one of the major benefits of it. Just the quick crop turnover and then also productivity. Jonathan knew his stuff. After going over all the benefits of a hydroponic system, he then showed us his two different setups, the deep water culture setup and NFT. A bit more into what deep water culture is. The gist is, is that the roots of the plant are being suspended into a body of water, covering them in water that's filled with nutrients uh, for them to avail 
absorb as much as they can. Um, and they just uh, absorb all those nutrients directly through yep, the water? Okay. directly. Uh, which is why hydroponics works. It just, uh, you know, that direct connection between the nutrients and the plant uh, allows them to grow to okay. their fullest potential. Okay. Deep water culture, the method that can be traced as far back as our friends, the Aztecs, looks very different in Jonathan's backyard than it did in Lake Tenoch. In Jonathan's backyard, you find his basic deep water culture setup, the one that he set up for many clients and that he uses to help feed his own family. It's a very simple setup. Imagine a big square made out of two by six pieces of lumber. The two by sixes are standing up on end so that the bed is six inches deep. Each of the two by sixes connects to each other forming a square. There's some plastic laid over those and the nutrient solution is then poured into that. That is all built on top of a square piece of plywood, which is then stacked on top of concrete blocks. I know it's kind of hard to picture when you hear me describe it, so if you want to see what this looks like, Jonathan's entire setup, head over to our YouTube channel, just search Homesteady, and you can take a good look at Jonathan's deep water culture setup. Okay, so at the moment, the systems have just been set up, just getting ready to go. Um, today we're going to do some planting. Awesome. Uh, I started some seedlings over there uh, in a humidity dome. Um, so these are our seedlings? Yep. So Have you ever seen those accounts in Mike? They're no. called plants? <laughs> no. They look like uh, scary, but you know. And that's okay. the actual grow medium. These individual cells get broken up and transplanted into what we call a net pot. So Jonathan shows us all these little seedlings, each in their own individual little cube of growing medium. You break a cube off and you put it in a net pot. Now if we were to sow a seed directly into this, the seed would fall through right. and it just wouldn't work, which is why we use the rock bowl. Nice. Um, so yeah, rock bowl goes in there. The net pot looks like something you'd hit a golf ball into at one of those, you know, putt-putts. Just a little cup with slots in it for the water to pass through. So it'll go and, in there? Yep. But that one doesn't right have a seed? Or that does, yeah, that Got has it. nothing okay. in it. This guy's empty. Um, so it goes in here and then plop it right into the system. Set it. Forget it. It's awesome. good. The little net pot is resting on a floating foam raft. I've got some floating rafts. Um, the rafts hold the net pots and they float up and down as the water level changes, as water gets lost to evaporation, and as the plants use the water themselves. You're going to plant these today, Jonathan? Yeah. Yep. So it's ready to go just like that? Yeah. Just from there, you just plop it into one of those net pots. And then something historic happened. Jonathan handed this little seedling to Accountant Mike. He's actually going to plant something today. <laughs> Make Believe sure this not. camera's on. We're catching this. <laughs> I just want you to realize the gravity of what's happening here. I want you to rewind back, not months, but years. Before we knew how Accountant Mike felt about bears and that he was everyone's favorite star on the Food Network show, Worst Cooks in America. Before you heard him thumbs down having a family cow and then flip-flop put it back to a thumbs up after getting a beat down from Emily. I want you to go all the way back to episode one, when you first met my high school best friend, Accountant Mike. Hey, you hey. there? Hey, what's up, bro? How's it going? Oh, man. <laughs> 
So this is Mike. He's an accountant. He's also a good friend of mine. And uh, he does all the books for our farm. I called him up to get his professional opinion on whether or not a raised bed is a worthwhile endeavor as a homesteader. I think that's a country song. Oh, except I had one of those nights where I just did not sleep well. You know how when you know you need to get up for something and then you look over and the clock says it's like three in the morning. You're like, crap. That's when I need to get up. <laughs> I'm not. Oh, God, you're insane. When preparing for the podcast, I was planning on talking about a 20 seconds into our very first interview for this show. And because I wake up early to farm and to homestead, we learned accountant Mike thought I was insane. And it gets worse. Mike, by the way, lives in the city, so uh, he looks at things differently than I do. <laughs> That's putting it mildly. <laughs> <laughs> Which well, is... my judgment is you're crazy. <laughs> You'll see. Say that right he off is the, the uh, Mike is the Spock <laughs> to my. Uh, what's the other guy called? <laughs> <laughs> Captain Kirk. Kirk, that's the one. You're definitely Captain Kirk because you're not bones. You're def- you're like you jump into that stuff, <laughs> just like do it. <laughs> We've been on a journey over these last three and a half years. You guys, me, Accountant Mike, you've gotten to know us. You know that yes, I jump into things, maybe too soon, like like when I got a bunch of sheep and goats before I had the right pasture for it and things didn't work out so well. Or like when we announced we were done homesteading, we were going on a cross-country road trip, only to figure out that we can never stop homesteading. And also our child was really bad in the car seat, so that wasn't gonna be very fun anyway. But you've gotten to know that about me. I'm impulsive, I act on emotion. And you've also come to learn that Accountant Mike does not. Accountant Mike calculates, he's cold, he's cool, he researches, a lot before he gets into something. And you can remember, just way back from that very first episode, how hard it was to convince him that this lifestyle was worthwhile. Even when he saw, monetarily speaking, the language that he speaks, first and foremost, that it made sense, we still couldn't convince him to give it a shot. You're probably actually gonna be in a position where you can actually sell some of these tomatoes and really actually make some money nice um, maybe if you get really really good at it and you start growing incredible yields you do better than that but great yeah i'd say by the time you hit year three you're actually doing all right all right so uh will we see you outside of your apartment on your balcony with a tomato plant in the topsy-turvy <laughs> <laughs> oh, simple answer is no <laughs> <laughs> hey thanks Sorry. man for your help there is the power in planting a seed Some seeds germinate quicker than others. Just a few days, that little seed comes to life and green pokes its head up through the ground. New life, new expectation, and us gardeners get all excited, imagining what that little seed will turn into, how big it can grow, what change it can make. Three and a half years ago, we started this show. We planted a seed. We got Accountant Mike's wheels turning. Some seeds take longer to germinate than others. Any of them? Yep, any of them. So I can use this one? Yeah, go for it. You just... I'm planting something! (laughs) 
Yeah. Oh. And yeah, it's all right. Yeah. But it's as easy as that. Is that so the that's first it. time you've ever done that? Yes. Planted something? <laughs> this is pretty sure. <laughs> it looks okay too. You know, yeah. it's happy and it's all right. It's green. <laughs> all that? Yeah. All, all right, let me yeah. plant another one. All right. Yeah, so you just rip it right off. Yeah. It's a very clean process, no dirt under the fingernails. Accountant Mike likes that. <laughs> I do. I'm a fan of that. Okay, that one stays up a little straighter. Look at that! <laughs> How long do we have to wait till it's lettuce? Well, this <laughs> guy actually, these here are bok choy actually. Okay, so uh, we're gonna wait a long time. <laughs> no, these, these are very fast as well. He didn't stop there. We got we got the GoPro on. How long it takes to do the whole thing? Uh, All we're right, gonna stop see. motion this. Let's go for it. On the clock, accounted Mike planting his first garden. I have to plant this whole thing. You have to plant the whole thing. Jeez. Oh, That's what we got right. you out here All to right. do. All right. I'm ready when you are. This is a moment I'll never forget. <laughs> go. Okay. Go for it. We won't even dock the two first ones. Those are gimmies. <laughs> Four minutes later, it was all done. Accountant Mike had planted his first hydroponic garden. And there they go. Hands up. Three minutes, 52 seconds. That's yeah, that's beat the four minute mark. 36 plants. You just planted. 36 plants, enough to feed a family all month long. These beds were uh, specially designed to support a family of four or five um, when it comes to lettuce in particular. Uh, I know that. Um, so I set it up uh, to where if you do rotate uh, the plants out, plant three every day, mm -hmm. you can get a stream. So you'd cycle this where yep. like every day you could harvest three plants. Exactly, three okay. yeah. It's gotcha. just large enough so that you could accomplish something like that awesome. and have a constant stream of produce. Okay. Um, and you know what? You don't even have to worry about the bear coming by and taking it. At that point, I didn't care. It was three and a half years in the making, but I finally got Accountant Mike to farm. Or just, you know, homestead a little bit. I may be impulsive, but I can play a long game. I was good. I didn't even need a thumbs up. But it didn't mean that Jonathan wasn't going to prove to Accountant Mike that he could get one. Yeah, so if you're looking at it, it's like, all right, that's easy $90 worth of produce. Right. And, and if, the, if that whole bed cost that, I'd be amazed. Yeah. Jonathan actually <laughs> has the breakdown. Oh, yeah. awesome. On the Does spreadsheet. he? We'll go yeah. over that. We'll go Okay. Um, I'm interested to see what sort of numbers we can get from these systems, if they're viable, if they're sustainable. Yep. Do you have numbers for me? I got some numbers for you. All right, let's, let's do go them. for it. There was a thunderstorm approaching, so we all packed up our gear, went inside. We enjoyed some delicious food prepared by Jonathan's mom, Amy, and then we jumped into doing the numbers. What are your startup costs and things okay. like that? So total startup cost, it is about $176. Okay. 
brand new stuff if you were to just buy it all. Okay. $176 to build one bed. But a lot of those materials you're buying in bulk, and you can use to make more than one bed, or make repairs in the future. You're actually only using about 90 of those dollars to make each individual bed itself. That's okay. brand new materials still, okay. which is pretty darn good. Um, and now when you go down to, say, salvaging your wood, you got some extra 2x6 kicking around, some mm -hmm. extra half-inch plywood. Mm -hmm. You can break it down to $51. So for the water pump, the net pots, and the foam, $51. That's basically it. So if you're able to salvage the rest of it. If you're able to salvage the rest of it. Comes. So one of those beds that Accountant Mike just planted 36 plants in, they could be as cheap as $50 to make. How long are these beds good for? These beds are, they've been good for ever. I mean, I've had these beds up and running for about four years now. Okay. Um, the only thing that I've had to replace is the plastic itself. Every two years, you have to swap it out. So we're talking about a range of about $51 to 176 Yeah. You'll probably be somewhere in between. Yeah, somewhere in there. Great. Yep. Okay. Yep. All right, let's talk through, um, let's talk through yield. Remember, Jonathan designed this hydroponic system to feed his own family all the lettuce that they needed. If you were to do lettuce every 30 days, you get 36 heads of lettuce from the system. Uh, around here, that runs two to three dollars a head. Okay. Uh, so you can get seventy-two dollars per uh, crop that you grow in those systems. Per per if, per crop. Okay. Per crop. Now that's not all profit. You got to consider the costs. And then when it comes down to electricity usage, the nutrients, the seed, the rock wool, um, that's about $9 per crop that you're using. Okay. Yep, and then, so take that and subtract it from that 72, you're making $63 off this whole thing that you could put to another project. Per, per crop. <laughs> per crop. One bed, $60 every 30 days. I want you to think about that. For all you farm dreamers out there, imagine if you built 10 of these beds. At about $170 a bed, you could build 10 of them for less than $2,000. In your first month, you would earn about $600 based off Jonathan's figures. That means in just four months, your farm business is now profitable. The rest of the year, it's all cash in your pocket not to mention food on your family's plates. These were good numbers. Accountant Mike loved the detail. Jonathan factored everything, even the electricity that it would take to produce this crop. I've been waiting to point this out to you, but now is probably the perfect time. Guys, Jonathan is 17. How many 17-year-olds do you know who have turned something that they're interested in, like hydroponics, into a hobby that helps to feed their family, cut the cost of expenses, and then that same kid has gone and turned it into a business? Jonathan knew his stuff, and he was impressing the crap out of us. <laughs> But from my standpoint, there's not a lot of like dollar cost going into the system. Not Let's talk all. about time. How much 
time is involved in setting these systems up in the mm -hmm. beginning, and then how much time is involved with you know maintenance, keeping them going yep. along the way. All right, so each of those systems took me anywhere between an hour and two hours to go out to Home Depot, buy the materials that I needed, and zip them all together. You okay. know, it's just all wood screws. Um, I've got a circular saw. I just went at it for a bit, and they're there. Okay. Yeah. So when did you build these, Jonathan? <laughs> I built my first one my freshman year. Freshman year of oh, high school. And I noticed the comment, he said, oh, I got a circular saw, I just went at it. So I'm picturing freshman Jonathan, just, oh, I love that. Real skills. Um, so we're not, talk we're not talking about a lot of time to not set up. Yeah. How about maintenance? Maintenance is pretty easy too. Okay. You know, it just takes five minutes a day, check okay. on it, make sure everything's in shape. Um, but yeah, that's really it. It's okay. very small when it comes to time commitment as well. Okay. So we're talking about a system that costs at the at the very least like fifty bucks, yeah. right? And at the most, one hundred and seventy to set up. Yeah. Couple of hours to put it together. Not even an hour a week to maintain. Yeah. That's. I mean, this seems like a tremendous. This seems like a no-brainer to me. Which we've had several no-brainers on the <laughs> podcast before. We've. I don't know if we've ever had a no-brainer. Thumbs up. But I don't like, think we've ever had a no-brainer thumbs up. Oh man, this is, this is a historical moment here. But I mean, based on everything you're telling me, oh, we need to talk about seeds. What what sort of cost is involved in these? You seeds? can tell he's never bought a seed. Oh. <laughs> Wait a second, how much are you spending on seeds? Packet of, packet of seeds, two dollars. What's okay? So. It's, I think it's the first time ever, like, hands down, this is a great setup. I think it's <laughs> profitable, it totally works. So we got an a official, absolutely, <laughs> a thumbs up. <laughs> great job. Thank you. This stuff looks really good out there. Awesome. Cool. That was great, guys. Jonathan, take thank a, you so uh, much. A really nice thanks it. for this coming down. Really, this is really cool. <laughs>
And don't forget to visit our YouTube channel where you can see the entire setup he has. If you're a homesteady pioneer, head over to thisishomesteady.com, go to the Pioneer Library. There you'll find a step-by-step -step presentation Jonathan gave us on how to set up his exact system, the deep water method we heard about here, and also his NFT setup. You'll learn how to build these very inexpensive, highly productive hydroponic gardens with all the materials that you can buy at Home Depot. Jonathan was kind enough to share this entire process with our homesteady pioneers. If you're not a pioneer, go to thisishomesteady.com and become one. It's just five bucks a month. You get access to the entire library of bonus content, all kinds of good how-tos, classes, courses, like how to build a hydroponic garden in your backyard, presented by Jonathan. You also get a ton of discounts, which include Jonathan's hydroponic systems. We're excited to announce Jonathan as our latest addition to the Homesteady discount vendors. So if you wanna buy one of his five gallon bucket systems or a much larger system, you'll get a 10% off coupon as a Homesteady Pioneer. If you wanna take advantage of that discount, go to the library, click on Pioneer Discounts, and you'll find the page where we can find Jonathan and all his systems. There's a whole lot more discounts in the Pioneer Library, consider becoming a pioneer. It helps us produce this show, keep the lights on, help us run things, and you can make your money back real quick with all the discounts you get as a homesteading pioneer. So did it work? Did I make an episode that actually got my wife interested in hydroponics? I think so. Because now we have on the plans for fall installing a hydroponic grow wall inside our house and not even in our creepy basement in our living room i'm gonna get jonathan to come over to the homesteady farm and help me set up a hydroponic system and of course we'll keep you all updated as the progress continues and you'll surely be able to find some videos over at the youtube channel search homesteady in youtube to find us special thanks to vince to jonathan to Amy for having us over to their hydroponic homestead. And of course to Andrew from Freight Farms for sharing us the story of Freight Farms, building farms pretty much everywhere. There is a fantastic blog post recap over at thisishomesteady.com with links to all the different things, but mostly to link you to that History Channel video where you can watch the Aztec sacrifice. Yeah, I know. You want to watch it. Special thanks to Allison Holly for her help in editing this podcast. Homesteady is produced by my wife, Kay, and myself. I'm Aust, and I'm Homesteady. Until next time, remember, the road is rocky. Make Homesteady. Do you want to start your own homestead business? Do you want to make money from it? Join us in the next episode of Homesteady, where we're going to share the stories of different homesteaders who are making a living doing what they love off their homestead.